So we are um, in a series right now titled Stop Going to Church. And as we talked last week, we remember and we discovered that the importance of it is that we've actually allowed, some of us have allowed, the church to be the substitute for our relationship with God. We've allowed it to fill in the gap there when really that's a position that should be reserved for our relationship with him. Too often the church here in America um, has become just a building or a name, right, of an organization. Or the church becomes the one place you go and hang out, you know what I'm talking about, once a week. Or it's the place where you go hang out with your friends once a week. Or it's the place where you go drop your kids off in the daycare. It's the place where you drop your, your teenagers off, right? It's, it's not necessarily um, what it should be all the time. And if we're being honest, and I think we should, we've allowed the attendance to church to somehow substitute being the church. We've allowed attendance to substitute what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And last week we talked about that. We talked about the dangers of being a lukewarm Christian. None of us want to be lukewarm fish. So we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we separate those things and we don't get caught into the culture of, hey, just church attendance is all that matters. So I made the argument last week that we need to stop going to church and start having a real relationship with Jesus. Because for too long we've allowed the church to be the thing to be the only relationship we have with God, and that is a problem. Now, let me tell you up front, this week's going to be harder. I just want to tell you that up front. I want to go ahead and get your, get your minds right, get your heart right, get your spirit right, because this topic this week is going to be harder than the topic we talked about last week. I can stand up here, and those of you that follow Jesus you, and, and follow God, when I say you need to have a better relationship with God, you sit around and you go, yeah, of course, man, I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. I want to have a better relationship with God. None of us really push back against that that hard. But today's topic you will probably push back on just a little bit. Today's topic will probably make you a little uncomfortable. You're welcome up front. That's free of charge. It's part of church, right? That's what we do. But in truth, Jesus, when he starts talking about some of these things, they make us uncomfortable. They make us uncomfortable because they challenge our humanity at times, the things that we are naturally born with and the things about ourselves that we don't always like. Sometimes when Jesus is speaking in the Bible, it feels like he's poking around in the deepest, darkest places of your heart and you just kind of want him out of there, right? And we have the opportunity here in this space where we can interact with that or we can push it away and just be a cultural Christian and say, no, 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 I like the music, I like the coffee, I like my friends, I don't want to go there, Jesus, thank you. No, thank you. So today's topic is going to be more difficult, but it is going to be equally as important. It's going to be equally as important. So I have a confession to make, and I hope you don't judge me for this, but I do. I have a confession to make. This is not something I like about myself, and maybe you'll relate, but there are some people, keep your eyes up here, there are some people <laughs> that I just don't like. Can I say that as the pastor? There are just some people, you don't amen that. <laughs> Glad you're here this morning. So, the, 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 uh, the, the, there's just some people, there's just some types of people, right? I mean, come on, if we're just being honest, there's some types of people you don't like to be around. That if you had the opportunity, you would avoid them at all costs. In fact, I said that and a name came into your mind, didn't it? You have a person that you sit around and go, man, I would never hang out with Ralph ever again. 
If I had a choice, I would never be around Ralph. Or Betty, I am not hanging out with Betty ever again because she's condescending, she's lazy, she's rude, right? And if I gave you the opportunity, you have a list of labels, right, that you would put on and say, these are the people that I don't want to be around. These are the people that I do want to be around, right? And I mean, I got some of those labels. And and again, we're family. We can all be honest with ourselves for just a second and recognize some of our shortcomings. But one of the labels we don't like, you know, this is a lazy person. And all of us sit around and go, yeah, I don't want to be around a lazy person. I want to help them or be around them, right? Condescending. I mean, how many of you guys don't raise your hand or look around, have experienced someone who's condescending before, right? It's, it's frustrating. It's so difficult to work with that individual at times. Um, then there's just those people that are just hard to work with. They're not good team players. So you could just, if you would, you would just separate them out of your life. You're not interested in those people at all. And selfish people, right? I mean, selfish people are sometimes the hardest people to deal with. And you sit around and you go, how could you be so selfish? You only ever think about yourself, right? And then there's some others. Some of us won't be around any Democrats, Some of us won't be around any Republicans. Like you hear it and you're like, oh my gosh, a Republican? Or you're like, ew, a Democrat, right? Or here's one that'll ruffle your feathers, and and I'm trying to get everybody, so this is an all skate, everybody gets to be offended, is you sit around and you go, I don't want to be around those gay people. Or you go, I don't want to be around those straight people. I don't want to be around the Republicans. No, 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 I don't want to be around the Democrats. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to be around the pro-life people. I don't want to be around the pro-choice people. I don't want to be around the people that believe this or the people that act this way or the people that say these things. And again, you have a label that you would put in your do not hang out with category, right? Or you do not spend time with, I do not care for, I will not be around, I will not love category. So I just want to make sure, did everybody get a piece of that? Everybody's offended now? We're all on even playing ground? Good. And these are some people... That again, maybe I didn't make, yours didn't make the list, but I bet if I gave you a notepad, you could come up with a few. I bet if I gave you a notepad, you got some, right? You got some labels that you'd be tossing around, and you got some things that you wouldn't be too hard on. You'd be okay throwing that around. But again, this is uh, not a new thing. This is just a world thing. This is a human thing. People have not gotten along with each other for thousands of years. Since the first humans existed, Cain killed Abel. All right? So we have not been getting along forever. It's not, it it hasn't changed. So when we sit back and go, oh, it's awful. It is awful. It's it's never been this bad. Really? Because World War II was pretty bad. Like we were at a world war and, and they were killing the Jews in the millions. So I don't want to get in this place where it's like apocalyptic viewpoint. But I think we would all agree, especially with the campaign trail starting, yippee, that we're going to experience and hear all these things again, right? We're going to have these things in front of us. And let's be honest, the media doesn't make money if you like each other. They only make money if you get angry and say mean things on Twitter, okay? So let's not get that. Let's not get those things turned in and think that it's new. It's not new. This is human nature. This is the way it is. This is just something inside of people. There's going to be people groups that we don't like. There's going to be attitudes and viewpoints and characteristics of individuals that we are going to write off and say we don't like. That is a human thing. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And believe it or not, it happened in Jesus' life too. It was something he experienced and something he actually spoke directly 
into because he knew that this would be a problem, this was a problem that plagued his current world and that it would be a problem to plague his future church. And this is why he says these things. So the story we're going to look at today is a really significant one. And many of you, as soon as I start reading it, you're going to be like, I've heard that one before. In fact, we have a law law and stuff named after it. But there was a time when some of the religious leaders tried to trick Jesus. They wanted to start some, start some stuff with Jesus. So they figured out a way that they were going to do that. They said, well, we can trap him. We need to get him to, to say something against God, or we need to say, get him to say something against the law. We need to get him to say something that would just cause some problems or cause some issues. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Side note, if you're a Jesus follower, don't test Jesus. You will lose every time. You will fail the test. Okay, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. But this guy wants to. He's not a Jesus follower. He's an expert in the law, a follower of God, but, you know, he's missing out. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, imagine that's the question a lot of us think. And not only that, Jesus has covered this before. He has talked about this a few times in his ministry to this point. So you can imagine how frustrated he must have been. Oh, come on. You're asking this again? Come on, you guys are trying to do this again. And, and he really knows what's going on because he knows they're trying to trick him. And he knows they're trying to catch him. And the, what's so interesting is the way he flips it back to them. He flips it back to them. He looks at the expert in the law and he says, well, what do you say is written in the law? How do you read it? I mean, you're, uh, you're an expert in the law, which means you, you obviously know what to do, right? So, so tell me what you think expert in the law. And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. So every aspect of your being, love, your, love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the words coming out of the, the, the religious leader's mind or out of the religious leader's mouth. And you guys have heard this before. It's the vision of our church. It's why we exist. We exist to help people love God, love people, and to make a difference in the community around us. That's exactly what this church is here. And everything, every decision we make as a board and as team leaders, we press through that filter. Is this decision going to help people love God, get deeper relationship with Him? Is this decision going to help people love each other, build community around the place? And then is it going to make a difference in our city? Because me and Leah were talking this past week, and what we would love is if something happens to this church to where we don't exist anymore, I would love for the whole city to go, man, dude, if something happens to that church, they just love the way that we just, I can't even explain. Even though I don't fully understand everything they, they do and believe everything they believe, dude, the, this would be a worse off place if it wasn't for that group of Jesus followers. So Jesus lets the religious leader answer. And he says the right thing, you know, because Jesus turns around and he said, you have answered correctly. You have answered, you got it, man. And then he says, do this and you will live. And he means by having eternal life. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus. His own pride and arrogance got in the way. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now pause. Isn't it true that we ask ourselves that question? I mean, isn't it true that we go, who is my neighbor? I mean, you hear me and I say, you know, love God, love people. And you go, hold on, Brandon, all the people? 
like everybody? Or can I like not love the Democrats? Can I like not love the Republicans? Can I like not love this type of person? I mean, I've got a label, lazy people, right? Or maybe can I not love this individual? Can I not love this individual? You'd never say that, you'd never say it like that, but that happens in our heads sometimes if we're just honest with ourselves. And we ask the same question sometimes the religious leaders do. Hold on, you meant everybody, but not those people, right? Everybody, but not those. There's a section that we don't do that for. And just to go to the absolute degree to get everybody's attention, Jesus tells a story. So instead of just giving them the answer, he could have gave them the answer. He's like, who's your neighbor? And Jesus could have said, look around, everybody, good talk. But he didn't do that. Instead, he tells a story so that they would remember. And it's a story that you've heard many, many times. Then reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, for us, that's not really much of a possibility, right? We're not driving to D.C. and worried about getting caught on 95, somebody pulling you out of your car, beating the tar out of you, taking all your money and clothes and leaving you naked in the street. Most of us don't have that worry. If you do, move to a different neighborhood, okay? Don't do that. But most of us don't have that, we don't have that problem. But in this world, this was a very real possibility because what would happen is there were people that would sit on the side of the road and they would wait. They were highwaymen. They were robbers. They, they literally waited. That's why you would travel with your family members. Because if you traveled, the more people in your group, the less likely you were to be attacked. If you traveled alone, you were more likely to be attacked. And then what they would do is they would strip you of everything. It's not like hold you up in the alley, give me your wallet. It was like, no, no, no. I'm going to beat you half to death to end a submission, and then I'm going to take the clothes off your back and everything you own because clothes were so valuable in those days. So they would take everything from them. That's the story Jesus, that's how Jesus is starting the story. And many of the crowd, and we miss this, that start hit them in the chest because they had experienced the same thing. They had experienced that before. They've experienced it. They've lost family members to that, or they had watched it happen in their neighborhood that somebody had hurt them or hurt somebody else they cared about in that same way. So he gets their attention right out of the gate. And then he says, okay, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, so the man's been beaten up, you know, taken down, stripped naked, thrown on the ground, right? A priest walks by going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed over to the other side. He went out of his way to avoid the person that needed help. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Levite was the people that were expected to be the temple representation out into the community. They were representatives of the temple in the community. So the idea that a Levite wouldn't stop was beyond what they could understand. And all the people sitting in the crowd knows, like, oh, man, those people are in trouble because they've heard Jesus teach enough, and they understand. They're like, oh, Jesus is going to be real mad at those people. He's about to show them something. That's probably where their mind is going, is where he, Jesus is going to correct the religious leaders. But instead of just simply correcting the religious leaders, he fires off at everybody, and he gets their attention again. He said, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, 
he took pity on him. Now, we breeze over this because we don't understand the cultural context of the situation at times. The situation we're dealing with is hundreds of years of hate and discontent towards these two people groups, okay, towards each other. You have the Israelites, the Jews, and the Samaritans. They hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. And they didn't like each other for numerous reasons, but it all started when the kingdom of Israel was split into two after King Solomon. What happened was it was divided into the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had two tribes, and they changed their capital because they became their own nation. The southern kingdom had ten tribes, and they kept the nation's capital as Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem. Both people worshipped God. Both people worshipped Yahweh. Both of them followed the law. Except in the law, there's a requirement to go to the temple. Now the temple was in another country. Now the temple could get you killed when you try to go to it. Now we've got a problem. So the northern kingdom became kind of a sect off of this. And so what they did is they said, no, we're not, you don't have to go to the temple anymore. And they said, you can actually just do it here. We'll build one here. We'll do it here in the capital of Samaria. Not a big deal. We're not going to worry about any of this stuff anymore. Well, that caused division between the two, caused division and problems between the two groups of people. Not only that, but the northern kingdom began to intermix racially with people. They didn't, they didn't separate their uh, Jewishness from the culture the way that they thought they were supposed to do. So what happened was is they would actually have kids with their oppressors, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, eventually the Romans, and so on and so forth. So now that created even more separation between the two to where you get these two groups of people and then end up both kingdoms end up getting completely conquered and completely owned by the same country and the same group of individuals. However, the tension stayed. The views on religion stayed. All of the division actually stayed, and it was a tremendous, tremendous problem. And it created a massive divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. So even though the old and this northern and southern kingdom had passed away, it didn't change the division that stood between the two. And Jesus is speaking direct anger and back to Jesus. He knows the reality of this world, and he's not afraid to shake things up. He says this, he went to him to bandage his wound, pouring on oil and wine. So the Samaritan goes out of his way to the man, the Jewish guy, who's been beaten and broken and stolen from. He, the Samaritan goes out of his way to care for him. Not only that, he is pouring on oil and wine for the individual. Wine because he needed to hydrate himself. Remember, water was dangerous to drink in those days, so don't think, eh, somebody gets beat, hand him a beer. Don't do that. It's not going to help. Unless the Miller Lite, that's practically like water. I'm kidding, I don't drink. <laughs> and I get emails now. It's just a joke. It's like water. But anyway, it's the same thing. Um, but anyway, so Jesus, Jesus says, no, this resources to kill on his inheritance. That's supposed to be the bad guy. He's supposed to be the villain of the story. And here is Jesus making everybody mad by making the Samaritan the hero of the story. And Jesus is just probably looking, and I imagine he's smiling at the crowd as the crowd's looking around like he's not really making the Samaritan the good guy. He can't do that. That's not right. That's not possible. 
He continues. He just, just keeps them coming. He said, then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. Have He went above and beyond what was expected to restore this individual and care for this man. Care for this man that was nothing like him. To care for this individual who probably hated him. To care for this individual who culture said doesn't have any value. And he goes, the Samaritan goes out of his way to provide care and love for this individual. And everybody in the audience is uncomfortable with it. And they're all like, oh, I don't know. And then Jesus asks the question. As he lands the plane and kind of finishes his point, he asks the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And everybody standing in the circle does this. I mean, we all know the right answer. And they're all sitting there going, okay, well, the, the right answer is this Samaritan, but it's not the one we want. It should be the priests. It should be the Levites. That, I mean, that should be the right answer. But here we are, it's, and it causes all sorts of struggles and all sorts of cultural issues and cultural problems. Everybody knew the answer. And if we're being honest, we know the answer sometimes, right? Like sometimes we know the right thing to do. We just do the opposite. Sometimes Jesus asks us the question, What's the right thing to do? And we go, <laughs> I mean, I know it. But we sit around like the people in the audience sometimes and just go, I don't know, Jesus. What is the right answer? Right? We sit back and we go, no, no, no. And we get so uncomfortable with this reality. And he says, the expert in the law replied, finally pulled it out of him. And I imagine he says it through gritted teeth. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even say his name. Couldn't even say who he was in the people group that he was from. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, you're right. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, the point of this, and Jesus' point is to love those who are nothing like you. Love those who are nothing like you. In fact, Jesus would go on to demonstrate this. But notice I said, love those who are nothing like you. I did not say, excuse their sin. I didn't say that. If they're a Jesus follower and you have the relationship with them, you have the relationship with them. Let me say it again. You have the relationship with them. One more time, for those of you in the back, you have the relationship with them. Then you address the sin. But if you don't, you're just going to cause conflict for no reason. But if they're not a Jesus follower, you can't confront the sin because they don't, they don't agree with you. You can't confront the sin. You can't. It's impossible because they don't think it's sin. So it doesn't work. So I'm not saying that you ignore sin. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you pretend it didn't happen. I'm not saying you affirm it. I'm not saying that you pretend it doesn't exist. I'm not saying any of those things. So don't hear this and go, oh, pastor just wants us to love everybody. Yes, because Jesus told us to. But I'm not saying it make excuses for individuals. Not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is his point in this parable was to love people who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who don't think like you, who don't act like you. Love people regardless of your labels that you have put on them. 
not make excuses for them, not excuse the sin, not pretend it does, it's not there. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Jesus' point was either. And he goes on and he demonstrates it. He would go on and demonstrate it. The night before he was crucified, he sat at the dinner table with his followers and he said, you will, you will do this thing when you do this, when you love people the way that I've loved you, when you manage to, to get that right, the world will know that you are a follower of Christ, not your political affiliation. Not your political affiliation. Not your sexual orientation. Not your financial standing. Not the church you attend. Not, not how many days you made it to church. That's not how people will know that you're a Christ follower. People will know you're a Christ follower. And these are the words of Jesus. They're in John. Look them up. He, the words of Jesus are that people will know you're a Jesus follower when you love the way that I love. Not The inverse is not that you just pretend there's not sin in the world. You pretend they don't sin. You pretend that it's not real. That's not what he's saying. He says people outside will know that you are a follower of Christ because you love the people around you. Because you care for those around you. Said another way is that we are to love one another the way Christ has loved us. No caveats, nothing special, no extras. And there's a lot of questions. I'm sure people are like, well, Brandon, what about this? I'd love to have those conversations with you offline. But what we know is this was the command. That's what we know. And this was the story. And Jesus finishes it with the guy who should have been the villain being the hero. And right then, he breaks down all cultural barriers. He breaks down all of the societal barriers. He breaks it all down. And he says, that's not how this works. The kingdom will be known and will be furthered when people act like the Samaritan. Now, the question we all have is, how do we become the Samaritan in the story, right? How do I become the Samaritan? Because, I mean, I want to be the Samaritan, right? I mean, you want to be the Samaritan. We all want to be that person. I mean, it's such a renowned story. We even have good Samaritan laws. Like, it's just part of culture now. We want to be that way. But uh, the question is, how do we become those people that go and do likewise? Because if we're just honest, isn't it hard to do it for people who are nothing like us? I mean, it's, it's tough. And it's even more tough when they don't believe like us, Right? It's so hard when they don't believe what we believe. It's so hard when they don't act the way we think they should act. You know, we sit back sometimes and we go, I would never do that. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe he did that. And again, we place the labels. But I think it starts in here. And I could give you a multi-step process and put it all out, but that's, that's probably not going to be as helpful because it starts to happen, and this was the point of Jesus' story. It's why he didn't just give them the command and walk away. He gave them the story to remember. And in that story, he said that they were supposed to care for those. And it was a heart change. It was a heart change. So before we get there, I want to start with a prayer. I want to change and shift the views to a prayer. Not a multi-step process, all that stuff happens, but it's not really going to change unless it changes in here. And again, we have labels. 
you've got a list. And if you had the opportunity, you could write it down and you would skip out on those people. And given the opportunity, you wouldn't say it like this. You could be the priest or you could be the Levite and walk away from an individual who needed your care, who needed your love. Now, sometimes love is telling somebody they're wrong. That's not easy. Jesus, but we will avoid it because it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus makes it clear. So, I want to start with a prayer. We've prayed this before in this church, but I think it is timely for what this is talking about. The prayer is this, Lord, help me see people the way you see them. Help me see them the way you see them. Lord, don't let me see Democrat. Don't let me see Republican. Don't let me see political views. Don't let me see societal standings. Don't let me see cultural differences. Lord, don't let me see a lazy person. Don't let me see an angry person. Lord, don't let me see those things. Help me see people the way you see people. Help me see things the way you see them. Because this is the truth. When you begin to see people the way God sees people, you are more likely to do what God says. When you begin to see people the way God sees people, you are more likely to do what God says because that's the Christian experience. If you're a Jesus follower, the goal is to be closer and more like God every single day. We want This is a journey, not a status. You don't change your Facebook status to Christian and then everybody like, we're done. Okay? It's not that easy. It's not that easy at all. That it's a process. So this heart. And it starts in our hearts. So, Lord, help me see people the way you see people. Because when we begin to see as God sees, we'll do as God says. But it starts in here. And that's what matters is we got to take it from in this room. Because really, come on, we're all sitting here. We're all rah, rah, rah. We're all like, yeah, you know, I'm there. Yeah, love everybody. We're there. I'm there. But then we get out there and somebody says something smart. And wah, wah. And you're like, homie, I just got out of church. Not now, dude, right? Like we, if you get into work tomorrow and that coworker's been slow on the project, done ticked you off, and they come in late again, and you're just like, boy, I'm about to smack that dude. Right? Slow down. I want to slow down. I want us to think and remember this. Lord, help me see them the way you see them. Lord, help me see them the way you see them. I want to see the things that I don't know, and I want to see the ways about them that I can't understand. And I, and I apply this almost every area of my life, but for this, I, I want us to just focus on the relationship aspect of it. So this week, the next time somebody kind of gets under your skin, or maybe they're that person, that type of person that you try to avoid, that you don't want to be around, right? They make your list, your do not hang out with list, do not spend time with list, do not like list, right? The next time you run into one of those people, instead of immediately categorizing them, slapping the label on and moving on, I want you, and this is a challenge because it's going to be challenging, to sit and stop for just a second and say, Lord, help me see them the way you see them. Lord, help, help me see them the way you see them. Because he knows the whole story. You know about that much of it. So, Lord, help me see them the way you see them. So the next time you're about to tear your husband's head off because he did something wrong, Lord, help me see him the way you do. Next time you're about to have that conversation with your wife that's really uncomfortable, before you come in blazing hot, just, Lord, help me see her the way you see her. Lord, 
before you handle your kids, Lord, please help me see them the way you see them. You know that member of the HOA that you've been waiting, that you just hate going to that meeting because of them? Lord, help me see her the way you see her. Help me see them the way you see them. The boss, the coworker, the individual that just grinds your gears and gets under your skin, the people you would separate yourself from, instead of putting a label on them, I want you to put this prayer on them. Help me see them, God, the way you would see them. So let's pause for just a second and let's dream. And let's ask a couple questions. Do you think that the world would be a better place if Christians, just Christians, just people like us, just Jesus followers, did this? Do you think it would be better? Do you think, let me ask you this, do you think your marriage would be better? Friendships would be better if you looked at your friends and you did this and you thought this way. And when you were really mad and you were really frustrated, instead of flying off the handle and putting a label on it, or maybe those individuals that you just try to avoid altogether, do you think life would be better or things would be better for you and easier for you if you stopped and you said, Lord, help me see them the way you see them? What about our country? Do you think our country would be a better place to live if we did this? If we said, Lord, help me see them the way you do, instead of seeing red or blue or black or white or anything, else, all of our dividers that we have, that we simply just go, Lord, help me see them the way you would see them. This attitude changed the world at one time, and it can do it again. It can do it again, but it starts in here. It starts with us being honest with ourselves and it starts with us asking that question all the time, daily. It's not a one and done. It happens all the time. It's gotta be part of your spiritual disciplines. Lord, help me see them the way you see them because I wanna see things the way you see things so I can do what you say. So let's pray. Father, this is difficult. This is tough. This is one of those challenges that we have when it comes to being a follower of you. It's because you put us all on level playing fields. It's real easy for us to come up with our list or our labels and say that a person is, and then we fill in the blank with whatever, and then we categorize them as people we don't love, people we don't care about. But Lord, this parable speaks so true to our heart that if we're not careful, we'll be just like the priest and the Levite. And we won't be like the Samaritan. So, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts this morning, that you would give us a renewed breath to say that prayer throughout this week that step by step we would move people to you to seeing things the way that you see things, that we would move closer to seeing people the way you see people. Because you see the whole story, and you died for them. So you saw the good. So Heavenly Father, help us see as you see, so that we can do as you command. Empower us as we run into those difficult moments, not just this week, but Lord, in the entire future, 
that we would not run away from these moments, but engage with them and allow your spirit to move in our hearts and begin to shift and change the inner workings of our spirit to reflect yours. Lord, we love you and we praise you this morning. And it's in your holy name that we pray. And the church said...